first of all, I just have to understand that this is something that's important to these kids. They care about it more than, you know, the footballs and basketballs of the world right now. And just having a conversation with them will, will show you that. They, uh, they care about it. So the question is, you know, how do you as an educator bring a program to them when it's impossible to get a budget for anything these days? This is the Next Generation Education. We're talking to top entrepreneurs, thought leaders, international disruptors, while focusing on lifelong learning and how education can and needs to adapt in our modern world. You're listening to Start Ed Up. Here's your host, Don Wetrick. Welcome back, everybody, to another edition of the Start It Up podcast. Today, I'm excited because I have esports legend and streaming legend, Raynad, also known as Andre Yenyuk. Andre um, came out to a conference that I was doing, and so did the, some of the team members at Twitch. And I was blown away because I told them I was going to present a little bit on esports and education because we had started an esports team at our school. Not a club, but a team. And they were so happy and thrilled that we had done that. They're like, hey, I'm flying out, and I'm going to support you. So I was amazed by that and shocked by that. And we had uh, talked about the fact that we were going to do a podcast and the weekend just slipped away from us. Like after the conference, uh, we went to eat and we kind of, you know, just all of a sudden time slipped away. And so uh, we were on the way to the airport and I thought, you know what, I'm just going to record this now. And I just so happened to have my Yeti and laptop with me. So away we went. So if the audio quality on this sounds like I'm in a car, well, I am. Uh, and this is a really unique episode, though, because I get into the mind of somebody who went from, as he explains in his story, went from being basically a, a high school dropout who was doing poker and some online card games to a highly successful gamer and streamer to then owner of Tempo Storm, one of the most successful esports ventures out there. So this is a pretty interesting podcast just in and of itself, but it's also one that if you really want to understand the world of esports and you know the, the whole streaming game, this has also got a lot of insight as well. So whether you're an educator, a gamer, or just a person that likes to hear somebody who's taken some you know chances and succeeded, I think you're going to love this episode. But before we get started, I wanted to still tell you about Start It Up. At Start It Up Innovation, we are working with schools and teachers and even homeschool parents on how to get students more innovative, more creative, more entrepreneurial. We've got some free resources out there, and we also have kind of a community we're building so we can support one another. We think that schools are failing young entrepreneurs. We also believe that the community that we're building here, and if you've listened to this podcast, you understand some of the guests that we've had on and the community that we're building. We think that we can be a resource to parents, students, and teachers to get to have our kids be more entrepreneurial, understand the process, and also get them to be more innovative and creative. So if you have any questions for us, we'd love for you to go to facebook.com slash startedup or you can always go to our website, startedupinnovation.com. Okay, so as mentioned before, I think you're going to love this episode. So without further ado, Tempo Storms, Rainad. All right, today's a, kind of an interesting episode because we're joined live from the luxurious Hyundai Sonata with my guest. Actually, do you just, what, what, what is it? it Raynad, Andre, yeah. what do you want to go? Uh, either way. All right, so. Andre Anuk. All right. It's Raynad in the gaming world. Yes. And, um, Andre, what I really, really appreciated is to, to give some people some reference and the reason why we're in the Hyundai Sonata. 
is that I'm taking you back to the airport because you were generous enough and nice enough to um, come out to a conference where we were talking about esports and gaming. Um, you had a discussion yesterday, and I always hate it when, like, hey, rehash what you talked about yesterday, but um, you really hit home with a lot of people when you start talking about your journey um, coming here to the United States and gaming, and let's get into that first, and then we'll get into uh, the high school side. Yeah. Um, I guess just, like, my story, I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I immigrated to Minnesota from Ukraine when I was pretty young, about six, just kind of been in the states for most of my time since then. I live in California now for work, and um, yeah, I just always liked gaming since I was a kid. All my neighbors had like new consoles, and I got really into it. Eventually, I uh, went back to Ukraine for a, a summer trip when I was a teenager. My cousin showed me some card games. Uh, I became pretty addicted. They just really clicked with me, and I really liked them. So. We're talking like Magic the Gathering and yeah, stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, Magic's what we played. We just played like every day. And all he had was the same two decks. Um, so yeah, eventually I you know, I came back to the States, bought a bunch of my own cards. Uh, first thing I wanted to do was go to tournaments, and I just started playing competitively basically right away. Um, always was into building my own decks and stuff. And yeah, I don't know. Eventually, you know, I started playing tournaments. I started doing that for a couple of years. I uh, got into poker, a bunch of other card games. Um, and at a certain point I just you know I was 16 at the time I wasn't really feeling high school I was wasn't really motivated to go so I kind of stopped going altogether and I uh, started traveling the country just competing in a bunch of different card games and, yeah, uh, yeah no, before people think like you didn't necessarily want to go to school you kind of were making money and you had a future mapped out uh, yeah, more I mean it was. I mean, we're talking about a calculated risk here. It's not like you just dropped out on a whim. Yeah, I mean, at the time, I, I don't know how calculated it was. Like I, I don't know. I felt like I would. I felt like I was smart, but everybody thinks they're smart, so it doesn't really mean anything, right? <laughs> so I felt like I'd be okay regardless of what I did. But yeah. I was making decent money, but it wasn't like the money wasn't the reason I was doing it. It was more. Uh, I don't know how I describe it. I, I think there's. I think there's only two real motivators for human beings, and that is to be drawn towards something or to be pushed away from something. And mm. it's a lot more simple to explain to a person why something is bad rather than why something is good. Because if you hold your hand in a, like a bonfire that's hot, it yeah. hurts, you understand why that's bad. Uh, a lot of the political rhetoric, same thing. It's really easy to understand why like immigrants would be dangerous to your way of life it's it's understand it's easy for a person to understand why something's bad and why should they should push away from it but to explain why something is good is so much more complicated because you you have to they have to have like a degree of imagination they have to envision the benefits of something they haven't seen before it's a lot harder of a sell but anyway yeah the reason I wasn't going to school was more because I didn't like it it wasn't because I was necessarily drawn towards the luxurious lifestyle of card games because uh, it wasn't that luxurious you know it was just going tournament to tournament trying to make enough money to pay for food and enough gas to go to the next one and I was actually coming out to Indianapolis for Gen Con and stuff like that I remember saving up a few hundred for that the weekend before for a couple of years in a row um, but yeah I don't know I started playing card games and eventually I got some normal jobs tried those wasn't really liking those eventually I found Twitch TV which is a uh, streaming platform that lets gamers 
stream themselves live playing a game, kind of like YouTube except live, not pre-recorded and edited. So I was just in my living room playing on a laptop I bought for like 500 bucks in Costco, streaming on the lowest blurry settings I could possibly manage. And uh, yeah, my channel kind of started taking off. I had a, I just made a pretty good channel, I guess. You know, I it was educational. Uh, it was entertaining, so, and my audience started growing, I was getting 500 people live tuning in every time I turned the stream on, this was back in like 2012, it turns out that wasn't enough money to really make a living off of, so, you know, I just kind of stopped streaming for a while, and eventually I saw a new game come out called Hearthstone, that game was getting really big viewership, I started streaming that, I already had all the skill sets for it, because it was a card game, Yeah, and uh, it came pretty good. I'd say I was probably the best player in the world for the first six months um, of the game. And, yeah, my channel took off. All of a sudden, I was getting 10,000 viewers every day, and then eventually 15,000, eventually 20,000. Uh, I was making okay money. At the time, it was harder to monetize Twitch, so my first year, I made, like, about $100,000, uh, but that was, like, that was working, like, 16, 14 hours a day. Yeah. Seven days a week, so... Continually um, live? Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, Which, I mean, I think that's that's one of the big misconceptions is people think that, um, we talked about last night, you know, I'm going to be an Instagram influencer. Uh, I'll put on a skimpy outfit and then everything will fall into place. You know, when you're talking about your early days of Twitch, you're you're on live, like what you said, 14 yeah. plus hours a day. Um, yeah, it was a saturated market even back then. There's a lot of other people you're competing against, and you know, I was I was waking up intentionally at 2 a.m. so I could start at the quietest time where there's the least amount of competition, just so I could grow my channel. And wow. I do that every day. So. But yeah, I mean, eventually, it, you know, it worked out. I, I grew a big brand. I I didn't exactly want to be, a, you know, it's basically a cam girl in my 30s or 40s. So I decided, you know, well, in case the Twitch thing doesn't work out long term. Because I know it's so easy to burn out on that kind of work. Um, you know, I should probably try to take the platform I have now, my audience that I have right now, and try to turn it into something more sustainable long-term. And all, all I really understood at the time was competitive gaming. Um, and that was really my only, like, skill set. So I decided to make an eSport franchise, um, which is a lot like a traditional sports franchise, like, you know, the Colts or the Yankees, where you buy and sell player contracts, you have training facilities where you train them up, you sell jerseys, you represent sponsors, our players travel the world and compete, represent our brand. It's really similar to any football club or traditional sports team. Um, so yeah, I started a team called Tempo Storm. Uh, basically, just took all the money I had and I just started paying salaries to a couple of pro players. And yeah, it was, it was going pretty well. I picked the right guys. We eventually you know picked up a sponsor or two and just kind of scaled it up and built the infrastructure over time and you know at this point Tempest Farm is pretty big got over 90 people working there yeah back back up so when you're starting Tempo Storm I mean you used to live in the competitive card game world is this was this your metaphorical pushing it all into the middle of the table and saying all in or just because your age you were like I can do this so why not now or both um well it was how do I describe it? The payoff was very high. I felt like it was something I could be successful in. Um, but at the same time, even if it failed, I, I had noticed at this point. <laughs> like, within the course of, you know, four months, I'd gone from making minimum wage, 
you know, not enough money to really live in America. And then, like, overnight I was making, like, pretty good money, you know, like, barely six-figure salary, even though I was putting in a lot of hours. You said um, in four months. Yeah, four months it was like a... Because yes, the stream took switch. off. Yeah. Like, and I noticed, you know, my, my level of happiness didn't exactly, like, skyrocket with, you know, as more money came in. So I figured, worst-case scenario, even if it doesn't work out, and I go back to... You know, just like a mixture of normal work and card games, it's not the end of the world. It's like I don't really, I don't know. I it's hard to describe, but like after you play enough card games at a high level, especially games like poker, and you've taken enough big losses, you just be very like uh, you just like understand risk. Yeah. Um, to a point where uh, I don't know that apprehension that most people might feel. Well, know, putting all their money into a risk like that. Yeah. I don't really... I just do the math on it, you know? And if it's, like, if I'm 51% likely to, to win out, I'm going to make that bet every time. So, <laughs> so well, I've also... In, in talking to enough immigrants... Um, heck, I was listening to one guy called it the immigrant advantage. That they understand um, comfort a little bit differently. Um, yeah. I mean, that's definitely a part of it. I, I'm pretty much as Americanized as an immigrant can get. You know, there's... People will just acclimate to whatever their environment is. So, you know, for, for those people that have lived in America long enough, it's they don't really see things that differently from Americans. I mean, I have the benefit of perspective a little bit in that I, I still understand what life is like elsewhere. But, um, you know, I, I definitely think it's different if you immigrate at, like, the age of, like, 12 or 14 or as an adult especially, um, versus, like, you know, for me where I was so young that uh, the, the change wasn't too drastic. Like, I was I was only six years old at the time that I actually moved over to the States, so I, yeah, um, for the most part, think like I'm, like, an American and I'm pretty acclimated to society, but... Well, you're really analytical in our last 40 hours together, I can tell you. Very analytical, but uh, well, I'm sure it's the card background, and, and obviously your genetic makeup too. But one one of the things that you talked about yesterday to the group was, um, you know, the emergence of esports, and um, you you know you told the audience you 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 were out here to help because you were excited about our esports program. Um, but but weigh in a little bit on where you think that esports could go in a middle school high school environment. Yeah. Um... So esports has a lot of parallels with traditional sports in that, you know, competitive gaming, it is a team sport. It's all about communication, synergy, working together as a squad. Um, you do have to put in the hours behind the scenes and build that muscle memory over just thousands of hours so that you can, you know, aim fat like faster than somebody else or uh, just have reflexes that are just faster than somebody else. Yeah. So in, in that same sense, you know, we, we have those, like, big leagues just like traditional sports do, and we have that pro level of play, but what we don't really have right now in esports, because it's so young, is all that infrastructure at the lower level, the collegiate level, the high school level. And I think that's really the, the area of esports with the most room for growth right now. So, you know, for when we're talking about high school programs, like, like Noblesville is set up, I think programs like that are very, very important to support and scale up and it's just kind of important to 
educate the educators of today and kind of show them, you know, why this is something that kids care about, why it's something that has a lot of benefits, and yeah, and why we should be building out those programs and supporting it. <laughs> the the amount of people, the teachers that, that so for the record, we were at a conference yesterday in Indianapolis, actually in Noblesville, and um, ICE conference, and so a, a pretty good amount of teachers showed up. And at the beginning of the conference, they were there out of curiosity, and I saw at least four or five teachers, they text their kids, and they're like, hey, I'm at this esports thing with this guy named Raynad, and I saw three or four people, they showed me their text, and their kids were like, what? Get your picture taken. Um, it, it, it was abundantly clear, as we drive past a noisy vehicle, it was abundantly clear that like the teachers didn't know what it was yet, but they were interested. Um, and, and I think that was one of the most important parts that I had both you and then Garvey out from Twitch is that at least, the, you know, this was definitely more of a technology, you know, it's, it's the, the Connected Educator Conference. Um, but I think that there's a willingness for a lot of teachers to start meeting kids where they're at. I, I mean, I, when I first announced that I was gonna do an esports team, I mean, it, it's logical, some people laugh and like, you know, that's stupid. Or, or like the quote I gave you yesterday, my funny, the funniest thing I ever heard was the guy when I told him all the stats and I said, hey, you know, people, you know, the, the League of Legends sold out Madison Square Garden in like 10 minutes. And then the guy says, well, I you mean to tell me people paid money to sit in an arena and watch people play a game? <laughs> and then of course the enormity of, of his ironic statement just hit in. But um, the teachers yesterday, they're like, okay, we're, we're interested in this. We want to see it go forward. My only question to you is, um, you made this comment that with esports and especially like a service like Twitch or even YouTube, that they could be their own broadcasting companies. Well, this this has made you. This is what got you your start. Got you yeah. some money. My my question is, in pouring through, and this is not just a Twitch thing. This is a YouTube thing too. When some people start to almost become celebrities in a sense. Um, are you afraid of what that does to them? Like, is it emotionally damaging? Because I've seen some really toxic behavior uh, and people feel like they know you and so they're all up in your business, so to speak, and then it becomes at times harmful. Uh, weigh in on that. Uh, yeah, I mean, live streaming is a pretty, um, it's a pretty like psychologically stressful type of work over a long period of time because you're broadcasting yourself live for hours and hours and hours on end, you know, some, sometimes six to eight hours in a row. And if some something ever gets to you or, you know, maybe something in the game is just very frustrating or you're having an off day or you're just not in the mood for it that day or, you know, the thousands of hecklers that you're getting live, you know, one of them says something that's just very irritating if you have like an off moment you can't just edit that out like you can with YouTube or a movie or yeah. something like that so everything's just kind of publicly visible all the time um, and when you think about streaming for that many hours and you think about doing that over the course of several years you know eventually you're going to say something that's not exactly PR friendly at some point it's just inevitable because people are human and the, you know God forbid you say anything that's not you know perfectly PC or something like that. Yeah. You just, you know, it really, 
I don't know, then you get a lot of fallout out of things like that. I mean, the, the point is, every single day you're streaming live, and it's not... The key thing about Twitch that makes it so successful and such a good way of viewing content, but at the same time, it's very stressful for broadcasters, just the fact that it's two-way broadcasting. Like, if I was just streaming on TV or, you know, had a show on TV, it's one way. Like, I yeah. create my show and I send it out to the masses, but they can never send anything to me, um, you know, outside of, like, strongly worded letters or whatever. But in live streaming, it's two-way broadcasting, so to be a good entertainer on Twitch, you know, you have to be reading your chat. There's a live chat room where people are asking you questions and interacting with each other and with you. And so you have to, you know, answer their questions. You have to be reading it. You have to be talking back. And, you know, you know, with that comes a lot of people saying pretty spiteful stuff. So, yeah, it's definitely not uh, an easy line of work and definitely can wear on you after, you know, several years. But uh, there's a bunch of good moments, too, as a result of it, right? It's not all bad. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not. Uh, well, actually, you know what? Explain to our audience. So a lot of times, and, and because I'm probably three months into being fully acclimated to some of this culture, uh, a lot of first-time listeners or, or people listening are like, what is Twitch? Tell me, tell people about the monetization of Twitch. You know, you're live streaming, and people are like, well, how do you make money off of just saying things live? Right. Um, yeah, making money off Twitch is a pretty complicated subject that a lot of people still don't really understand, even the ones broadcasting for years. Um, but there's a few sources of revenue. I mean, there's direct money that you can get from the website by just running your own ads, just like a you know TV network would. Um, you just have a button you can push that runs an ad, and you get paid depending on how many people see it. Um, you also, you know, your audience that you have, you're going to have thousands of people potentially watching you at the same time. Those people can choose to pay money to get, you know, an elite status in your channel. So where, you know, if they chat, it's very visible that they uh, have paid money and are, like, long-term supporters of your stream. You know, maybe they'll have custom emoticons or just different chat privileges. Uh, sometimes people will just tip you directly. They'll just pay you some money saying, hey, here you go. Here's five bucks for doing a good job. That doesn't sound like a lot of money, but if you have thousands of people watching, yeah. that can definitely add up. But those are the, only the most visible uh, sources of revenue that people see. You know, people see when somebody subscribes to a channel. People see when somebody uh, donate or, like, you know, tips the, the broadcaster. Um, but what people don't see is that some of the channels that become very astute and make the right connections and understand the whole advertising space, they can basically make good money through sponsorships. So... It is my like it is my own channel so for example I can use a headset or a keyboard from a certain manufacturer and they can you know pay me money in order to promote the product yeah and that really is the the biggest source of revenue but it's not visible because all of those deals are custom contracts the viewers never see that money being made um, even you know it's clear that you're sponsored by a product but they don't really realize that 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 money is a lot more significant when done right compared to uh, you know, just ad subs and ads, no matter how big your channel is. So, I think the sponsorship money is like the, the biggest part of it, and um, you know, that really only applies to the people that know how to carry themselves well and have brand-friendly channels and have experience promoting products in a way that is like you know genuine and done done well. Um, but yeah, if you can be one of those broadcasters that's a professional and you promote sponsors the right way, that's that's definitely a big source of revenue. Well, I, I, I see it similar ways. I mean, uh, 
obviously you're kind of it, similar to YouTube as well in the sense but yeah. YouTube is a little bit differently because you can't necessarily tip them right there from YouTube right but you know I look at a Casey Neistat and some of these guys that do have sponsors uh, well the early years of Casey and, and things of that nature but I also see like this danger where a kid can think I'm going to drop out and I'm going to start my own Twitch stream and everything's going to work out wonderfully like the average that's not really Twitch's fault no I mean, no 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 it's people's yeah. naivete no it's not Twitch's fault because I've seen the same again I've seen the same thing with YouTube matter of fact I, I talk to so many students that I'm like what do you want to be well, we talked about this last night at dinner. What do you want to be? A YouTuber. How many views do you have? Well, right now, five. But that's what I'm going to be. And, and not to say that it can't be done. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be an Instagram influencer. Well, how's that? Well, I'm going to put on very little clothes and take pictures of my butt or whatever. Um, the, the, the average person on, you know, in your opinion, when people get on Twitch, the biggest mistake they make is oh man uh, <laughs> thinking that it's going to be a source of revenue for them like in in the near future I don't know like it's like going into life expecting to be a celebrity on purpose you know it like there are people that are very good at what they do and they achieve celebrity status as a result of that but if you're going into Twitch thinking, okay, I'm doing this because I think it'll be a career for me, and I'm doing it because I think, uh, you know, it's it's just like a normal job. Well, not, not a normal job, but like it's a... If I do things this way, I will definitely get viewership and definitely get money. It's just not really the reality. Like, it's a saturated market, like a lot of things uh, in life, and it's, uh, it's really easy to go into it and put just hours upon hours in for, for years and never make money back on it. Um, it's just a, it's a skill set like anything else in life. And if people do it the right way, they definitely will be successful. You know, if they have good work ethic and they're improving their content constantly. And, well, obviously, the more consistent you are, the better, I'm assuming. Yeah. But, I mean, it's a skill set like anything else. I don't know. I, I think that, you know, if people actually have good content, they will inevitably succeed on Twitch. But... You know, the fact of the matter is 9 out of 10 people that believe they have good content actually don't and, and don't have, like, the right mentality to change it and improve it over time. So, um, yeah, like, you know, the realist in me wants wants to say, like, you know, most people will fail at Twitch if they try to do it as a career. But, you know, there's, you know, 1 in 10 people will succeed or, you know, whatever the number happens to be. Yeah. I, you know, I it, it's kind of, I don't know if ironic is the right word, but... It's strange for me to say that I think most people will fail when they go into it thinking like, oh, this can be a sustainable career, you know, like guaranteed. Yeah. When when, when I did it, that's exactly what I was thinking. I was like, <laughs> I, I, you know, I see this as like the future of YouTube. I definitely think I can make a living doing this. And I did, and it worked out, but it's Well, like, but so the, the, the one thing I do see that is a huge mistake that I've seen people do is that they try, you know... I, I really love Casey Neistat. I'm going to make Casey Neistat looking videos. Or I want to do pranks like Roman Atwood. I'm going to do prank videos. I, I see a lot of copycat stuff. Yeah. Is And again, I'm pretty darn new. Do you see a lot of copycat things on Twitch? Yeah. I mean, most people aren't that creative. So most people just copy what other people are doing. But, 
you know, it's not always wrong necessarily. Like you can take somebody else's formula and like improve upon it if it's suboptimal. Yeah. And just do it better. Um, that's definitely a possibility, but you know, being different is always a plus as well. I mean, at the end of the day, it's the entertainment industry, right? So when you're talking about what makes a successful channel, it's just like TV. You know, there's no like formulaic approach that somebody else could could do and have success with. Just because if there was, everybody would be doing it. Um, there's definitely like certain patterns you'll see and certain like good, uh, you know, best practices. But um, yeah, I definitely think people should strive to be unique, and they'll find more success when they do that. Well, all right. So going back a little bit, the, the the one thing that you know here, I'm starting to do some stuff with Twitch, and 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 I, I guess for the record, I should say how much I appreciate guys like Garvey and Kevin. Yeah, they're great. Um, but, but, um, I think just like with YouTube, I, I think that there is a dark side. That while I'm really quick to embrace students being their own broadcasting company, I want to make sure the culture is that they're going to try to create a better culture. Um, I, I mean, I think that, you know, if, if educators are going to get their paws on Twitch and embrace YouTube more, I, I would like it if we would have, it encourage less toxic behavior. Or is that always going to be a part of Twitch? You know, could, 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 could we influence that? Because, you know, we talked about yesterday, you know, on the gaming team at our school, you're being encouraged that when you go to tournaments or when you're playing online, you're representing our school. So therefore, the guy that's really toxic and really a big trash chucking jerk, it's just we're not going to have it. So we can, in a micro way, kind of influence the culture during a tournament. But here I am almost encouraging, like telling my kids, hey, you know, get a YouTube channel, get a Twitch channel. Just don't make a fool of me because I'm your teacher. Is that possible or is it not realistic? Uh, I mean, it's realistic to a certain extent, right? You, all you can really do is do your best to encourage kids to behave in just, you know, a positive, non-toxic way. Kind of explain to them, like, why it's practical, too, because, I mean, your channel's just going to be more successful if you're well, not... Well, I think it'd give it. you a comparative advantage. Yeah, it does. Like, I mean, if, ever, if, if there's way too many channels that are trash-talking, you know, guy just talking, whatever, I think that if you were... Or, or the flip side is you could be ran out of the, you know, laughed out of the building kind of thing. Like, oh, look, there's Mr. Positivity coming on Twitch. You're so, you know, whatever you want to say. But, like, it, it might be a hard market to, to penetrate at being nice or positive. Uh, most of the successful streamers on Twitch are very positive. There's, there's a couple outliers where, you know, their different thing is that, you know, they kind of speak their mind more and complain about the game. Uh, I definitely think, like, I'm in that category. But uh, Yeah, g g uh, give our audience some for instances, I mean, of, of positive people. Like, if, if okay, so you're a 40-year-old teacher just learning that there is a thing called Twitch, and you don't want to just watch, you know, uh, coverage of League of Legends tournament. You want to watch a streamer. Right. Um, you know, like, Sir Scoots, what, where, where would you start? Uh, there's a broadcaster called Piano I'm Pro Man. Piano I Am Pro Man. And he's, uh, he's an older guy, like 65, maybe 70, retired musician. No uh, way. And basically his, his chat room will tell him, you know, play this song. And he'll just basically, just by 
he'll listen to it for 10 seconds on YouTube and then he'll recreate it in front of everyone on piano and play it and sing along and everything. And, you know, that's a broadcaster where he's doing something more creative and he has a lot of you know, musical talent. Um, but he's, he's always happy and upbeat. Him and his wife run the channel together. He had a crazy night when he first uh, became popular where a couple friends of mine hosted his channel and their viewers went over there and his viewership skyrocketed. I think he had like 65,000 people at the same time watching him at one point. And Twitch is a gaming community, so they had him covering gaming music. But I mean, that's an example of like a, a positive broadcaster. There's also, um, I mean, honestly, most, almost every broadcaster is going to be pretty positive. It's not like it's an environment where most people are toxic or there's a lot of negativity. Uh, you know, you're running a broadcast, you're running a channel at the end of the day, and nobody wants to listen to complaints, you know, 24-7, so, um, Twitch, I'd say for the most part, any channel you go to is going to be positive, but if you don't want to watch gaming and you want to watch something that's a little bit more applicable to you, you know, jump through the categories, you know, there's cooking channels, there's, like, do-it-yourself channels, there's travel channels where people are out in the world, like, in Japan and stuff, showing their day-to-day, and you can watch that, um, yeah, it's just a, it's a new way of experiencing a lot of the content that we've already seen on TV. I'm always big into pushing my students to, like you said yesterday, broadcast to the world. I mean, if you're doing something amazing, I want to know about it. Um, you know, all of my students are required to either have a blog, uh, a YouTube channel, or a podcast. And I think that this would be an interesting add-on to our repertoire. But it seems like the ones that are successful, you know, making a five-minute update on Twitch might not be as good of a fit as opposed to making a five-minute update on YouTube. Yeah, Twitch isn't going to be successful unless you put a lot of hours into broadcasts and you do it very consistently, like, every single day. So, if you're just making content once in a while, YouTube's definitely the way to go. Okay. And lastly, your message yesterday on uh, this is going to, you know, the esports realm we've been talking about Twitch, but now back to esports. This esports realm is going to help a lot of kids. Um, what would be some of your advice to teachers listening to this right now and saying, I don't know where to start? Where would you where would you start if you were an educator in middle America with no money? Yeah. I mean, first of all, I just have to understand that this is something that's important to these kids. They care about it more than, you know, the footballs and basketballs of the world right now. And just having a conversation with them will will show you that they uh, they care about it. So the question is, you know, how do you, as an educator, bring a program to them when it's impossible to get a budget for anything these days, and you know, still do it in a genuine way that'll you know help with team building and help them be social with their peers and just kind of work together as a team towards stuff. I mean, I'd recommend you know you start off with like very uh, uh, what's the word, like, non-violent games, right? A lot of the more successful esports do have gunplay and things like that, which, you know, it's okay for a high school audience, but probably not great if you're a grade school teacher or middle school. But there's a lot of esports that are completely non-violent. So you start with a game like Rocket League or Super Smash Bros., uh, both of which, you know, they have no blood. Uh, one's basically soccer with race cars. The other one is just Nintendo characters like Pikachu fighting each other. Um, they're both very popular among kids, and basically, both of these games can be played on gaming consoles. So you don't need a very expensive computer, you just need a, a console, which are just a couple hundred bucks, and you don't even have to buy them yourself. 
because most of your students that play these games already own them. So you can have, you know, set up like like Don was explaining, uh, you know, yesterday. You can basically set up like a movie night type of thing where you know instead of a movie, they bring in their gaming consoles, and the kids you know will play games together. Uh, and that's just you know it'll cost you nothing. It'll make a bit of money even if you charge like five bucks a head. You know, have pizza there or something. And, um, yeah, the kids will have a great time. And it's a nice small scale way to start up. But if you want to, you know, move it towards the sports direction and to more towards esports, then you can set up like a tournament bracket. You can set up teams within the school, kind of like a intramural thing, I guess is the word. Right? Yeah. Um, and yeah, they the kids can, can play against each other in, in a you know over a few weeks, and you can kind of crown your champion and you know set up talk to teachers from neighboring schools see if they'll do the same set up like a competition between schools it's you can really think about it like the early days of sports like oh absolutely or basketball. yeah and, you know there isn't an easy structure that we can just follow for all this stuff like a lot of it falls on us to kind of set it up talk to the kids see what they want to do um and yeah you'll, you'll really see firsthand how passionate they are about it they can help you structure these tournaments themselves and go from there well I think that's the one thing that I'm excited about is that we talk about student leadership this is I mean the whole thing got started off with us because I allowed a student to be empowered you know I I, I knew a good thing when I saw it so I definitely helped and gathered some money and found some money but this you know from our end it was started you know by my student Ryan uh, the same way what you're saying I think if you're an elementary school teacher, and we were saying this at the event yesterday, and you alluded to it, you know, in some ways it doesn't matter if the teacher doesn't know what they're doing, the students sure as heck do. You know, if you ask them, like, hey, we're going to have a gaming night, watch the kids go, seriously? And, you know, how much is it going to kid, you know, how much is it? Well, first of all, the parents will probably pay just to have a fun evening out, but at the same time, you know, you, you tell your 10 kids, bring in consoles and you get free. And then the other kids that don't bring in consoles, you charge a nominal amount. And then after a couple nights, you've got a pool to work with. So yeah, it's, it's accomplishable. And, and it's something that I think that, um, I'm always, I'm big, my, the half the time of what I'm preaching is culture. And when, when the students want to be there and you have a culture where you're like, I don't want to leave. Like I want to stay in, you know, this classroom or you know it, it, and I can only imagine the students all of a sudden wanting to come back on a Friday night and game um, this is a great way to build culture it's a great way to, to kind of strengthen bonds and, and then have students look forward to things so alright Andre Rainad uh, we are approaching the airport now and uh, this has been probably the most unique broadcast I've done because I've been holding my Yeti microphone and still safely driving yeah safely driving like the enormity of esports is what drew me to esports and i talked a little bit about this with rick fox a couple weeks ago on, on the other broadcast but like there is a huge opportunity out there where especially in the early years um there's going to be a real opportunity for our students and so you know i said this till i was blue in the face in the last couple days at conferences if it's my job to provide if it's my job to, to, to prepare our students for the future, there seems to be a heck of a future in esports. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the you know the schools that are first adopters here are going to have a, a massive edge in the long term because 
you know, whether whether you want to believe in it or not, esports is just going to be bigger than traditional sports in less than 10 years. Uh, uh, football is going to matter less and less. Basketball is going to matter less and less. And they're great sports. But the kids these days... Oh, and by the game. way, this isn't just your opinion. You've got... I mean, there's legitimate data out there on the trends. Yeah. Yeah, I mean... I, you know, I'm, I'm not going to rattle off a bunch of, like, big numbers, but, you know, you guys can feel free to do your own research. It's, you know, there's a reason every NFL and NBA and NHL franchise is investing into esports right now. There's a reason, you know, all the traditional sports numbers have been declining for years, and there's a reason the esports numbers have all just been skyrocketing exponentially. So, um, yeah, like, it, it's coming whether we're ready for it or not, and, you know, the schools that are ready for it that do want to, you know, put in the effort to make these programs happen, even at a small scale, they're gonna, they're gonna be you know leaders uh, in the space, and you know it's 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 great to have your city represented and and be a leader in a you know this new wave, the new age of competition. Well, and then also the, the taking the negative of what people thought, because I'm sure like right now there's people sh- shaking their head and going, no, 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 this is well, you're gonna encourage kids to be on there, you know. They're, they're already socially maladjusted. They don't get out and they don't have fun or whatever. I mean, I, I can either acknowledge those stereotypes or I can define them in our, our big thing. And as you guys do at Tempo Storm, you guys physically condition. Uh, you know, for every one day, you know, because we have practice every day, but we, we're on the computer side every other day. And then the other day, we physically work out. So, you know, you can... You can criticize kids for playing video games too much, or you can provide alternatives that, you know, you can be on a team if you, I mean, our our GPA regulations to be on the team are pretty darn high, and so now are our physical, uh, you know, requirements. So I I think that you're right. Schools either can, can complain about this, or they can meet the kids where they are and then create better environments. And I think that's my, my only point with Twitch is that my only concern is is that I want to mentally prepare my kids to be broadcasters. You know, if all of a sudden they're overnight successes, and you've seen this, all of a sudden the, the, the kid that, that isn't necessarily mentally ready to be a celebrity and they're thrust in it and they make complete fools of themselves, I'd like to avoid that. Yeah. Like, I'd like to avoid that to the extreme. So, you know... We're having an esports team so we can prepare our kids for maybe a future in esports or marketing or development or, you know, all these other avenues that are within esports, but um, without a doubt, set them up for success. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's a, that's a good way to go over it. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, physical exercise should definitely be happening side by side with any programs you guys do start up. Um, you know, it's important at a professional level in esports that, you know, we have. We have trainers, we have, you know, sports psychologists. Like, it's important to take care of all of that because if your body's in bad shape, you're just not going to perform as well. One last thing, and actually we are now at the airport. Um, tell everybody else, especially the new people, where can they find you? Where should they subscribe? Oh, all yeah. that stuff. Yeah, sure. I mean, you can just Google Rainad, which is R-E-Y-N-A-D. Uh, N is in Nancy. Um, but, yeah, R-E-Y-N-A-D. Uh, I mean, I, I'm on Twitch, uh, twitch.tv slash Raynad27. I'm on Twitter, uh, twitter.com slash Tempo Raynad. Uh, on Facebook, my page is Raynad27. Uh, Facebook.com slash Raynad27, I think. Uh, yeah, I mean, that covers the big ones. I mean, if any teachers want to email me, they have more specific questions or anything like that, just uh, Raynad at TempoStorm.com. So. 
yeah, you won a lot of teachers' hearts yesterday. Um, your commitment to coming out for a state conference and not a national conference was well, I like, seriously, I totally owe you. Um, this isn't just for podcast talk. This is, you know, personal. I, I, you flew out here on your own time, taking time out from other opportunities. And for that, I greatly, greatly appreciate it. Um, all right. Well, this has been my most unusual podcast. If there was a lot of background noise, apologies, but, um, we're making things work. Both Raynad and myself were insanely busy this weekend. And here's where we shall podcast from the Hyundai Sonata Studios. This is Ton Wetrig reminding you that opportunities are everywhere. We'll see ya. We'd love to hear your feedback. Leave your comments, questions, and suggest show topics at startedupinnovation.com. Follow us on Twitter at Let's Start Ed Up and Facebook.com slash Start Ed Up. We're back next week with a new episode.